Welcome to Savage. I'm your host, Kelsey Kenry, CEO, wife, and mom of three. This is where you find the aligned strategy and mindset shifts to unleash your power, unlock your freedom, and step into your full potential as a CEO. Every episode is full of tough love and hard truths with a side of tactical guidance to expand your success. You ready? Let's do the damn thing. It is not your job just because you're the mom to do it all. It is not. Welcome to the Bravehearted Podcast, where we are changing the way you get inspiration by allowing you to hear resilience and victory in hard stories. We discuss new methods on handling life situations so you can show up confidently in your life. We are different. Because instead of just giving you inspiration through stories, we give you actionable tools to make the change that you want to make. Let's live bravely today. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 21 of the Bravehearted Podcast. Before we get started today, I just want to say that some of the material we talk about is deep and can sometimes be controversial. Please use headphones when listening in public or around children. So if you don't know already, my name is Kelsey Kenry, and I am a personal development coach and speaker working with women all over the world to find their courage and live bravely. And here with me, as always, is Mindy. Hey guys, what's up? Mindy Mercurio here, career coach and business guru, helping exhaustive women find their true purpose in the world. Really excited about today's episode. So to give you guys just a little bit of background, something I've talked about on the podcast before is adoption. And so my husband and I are in the process of adopting right now. So we, this has been a very long road for us. We started out with the idea that we would, of course, have our own children, but we've always wanted to adopt as well. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always said, there's so many children in the world who don't have families that I would love to give a child that doesn't have a family a family. Um, So we started down the road of starting our family, found out that we weren't able to have our own children due to some medical conditions that I have, um, which of course was hard. And we've talked about that on the podcast before a little bit about how we walked through uh, infertility, not only for myself, but for my husband. That was hard on him as well. And then we landed just a few years later on starting the adoption process. So if you're unfamiliar with the adoption process, it's a very long road. Uh, Lots of paperwork involved, lots of reaching out and having people um, who are close to you helping you as well. You have to build a good solid foundation and support system. And there's a lot of um, stress and heartache that goes around it. Of course, you know, there's, and there's more to come for me. But in exciting news, Michael and I just got approved. Uh, We went through our home study, which is a process where basically they ask every question under the sun about you and your background and They get referrals from people who know you and make sure that you are in a good mental headspace to take on um, having a family, which I think is very important. So we've gone through that process. We've been approved. And so now we just wait. And the crazy thing about adoption is that it could be 
two weeks from now. It could be 24 hours from now. It could be two years from now. We don't really know. So we kind of have to be prepared. And so in being prepared, those of you who have listened to the podcast before know that I am a question person. I'm a reader. I love to learn. So who better to ask than the incredible Kelsey Kenry, who is like a parenting guru in my eyes. I don't know if you guys have seen her kids. They're adorable. Um, So I am going to ask Kelsey all the questions about parenting and Even though I can't physically have my own children, we're going to talk about birth as well, because I think for new parents um, or expecting mamas, it's important no matter how you're expecting to get all the answers that you need and hear different perspectives from different people. So Kelsey, let's start off talking about birth, because I know that there's a lot of fear associated with birth. So talk to me about how you worked through some of the fears you may have had about the physical act of giving birth? Yeah, this is a good question because I think there's so much surrounding birth about like when people think about having children, they instantly go to, you know, what you see in TV and movies of like Mm. the woman like laying in bed screaming in pain and actually not that, you know, birth is a different experience for everybody. Mm. And I had you know, a hospital birth and then I had a home birth. So I've had both experiences and something really powerful you can listen to actually on the podcast is if you go back to episode four on the podcast, uh, we did an interview with Tanya Grazione and Tanya is a birth education specialist and a doula. And she was actually my doula for my home birth. And it's a, it's a pretty powerful episode and she's just a great resource to have. So as far as, you know, birth education, I highly recommend Tanya. And we can actually link her information in the show notes too for anybody that may be interested. Yep. So the fear of physical pain, what people don't realize is how much pain is mental. So mm-hmm. it's like, if you think about it, if you're busy and you like stub your toe and you're like, oh shit, and you just kind of walk it off, right? Versus like, you can choose to stub your toe and like let it ruin your day. It's the most Mm. painful thing. You become solely focused on the pain. Like that's kind of what birth is. And the problem is, is that since we as a society have become so focused on this is what birth looks like, because that's what's consistently shown to us, that is what we think birth is. And I think now there's so many great, especially on Instagram and like Instagram, obviously allowing birth videos and things like that. It's such a, people forget that women's bodies, unless you're medically not able, of course, women's bodies were made for the birthing process. And Mm -hmm. so it really comes down to you not believing in yourself and you doubting your body's ability, which we do in so many other areas, right? So I think one of the most powerful things you can do for birth, no matter what birth route you choose, is really choose to focus on the mental aspect of things. Mm. With Cameron, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a natural birth. I'm going to choose the hospital because Mm. that seems more safe to me. And it didn't turn out as at all as planned, as, as birth rarely does, right? But I just didn't do the mental work. I didn't educate myself about birth. I just was like, oh, I'm going to have the baby at the hospital and I'm not going to use medicine and that's it. (laughs) And it didn't turn out that way at all. I was, you know, there was a lot of kind of 
missteps on, on the medical side. And I ended up with a birth that I was not happy with. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's okay to recognize as women that like, you are the one carrying the baby. You are the one birthing the baby. Like it's not, there's this, this saying of like, Oh, as long as your baby's safe. Yes, of course. It's, it's, it's important for your baby to be safe and to be healthy, but like, what about you? You know? And people lose that. People completely just lose that because it's like, you're supposed to be fine with whatever birth trauma that may have happened to you Mm. just because your baby's okay. And it's like any other trauma. Like that's a huge part of your life. If you think about it between like making the baby in the process of that, carrying the baby, the birth, you're talking about like a year or more of your life that you've been committed to this purpose. So really just focusing on the mental piece. And with Brooklyn, it was like, that's what I did. I educated myself on my body, on what birth was, on, you know, I watched a million birth videos. I learned about my body. I read books. And then her birth was drastically different because it was at home. And I tell people now that that was one of the most, the greatest experiences of my life. It was the... I'm so happy that I had Brooklyn and that she was healthy and that everything was great. But just for me, it was the most powerful thing that I've ever done. Mm. And so getting the pleasure of experiencing that was the greatest thing I could have asked for, but I had to do the mental work. So I think that's a long answer to your question is the most important thing that you can do to prepare yourself for birth. Like people do like yoga and prenatal classes and that stuff's great. Physical movement, highly recommend. You have to move throughout your pregnancy, Mm. but you have to do the mental work. You have to. You have to educate yourself on your body and what you're capable of. Okay. So talking about the mental work and talking about like the you and the part of this, because something you said that really stood out to me was, you know, everybody's like, oh, if the baby's fine, you know, baby's healthy, that's what matters. But there's the piece about you and you're right. Like people neglect that fact. Like you go through a trauma, you go through a big change. And I think something that a lot of people don't think about is how you're going to feel after that baby is out of you and at home with you. And now you've got like this person that you're responsible for. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, I felt so much better when the baby was inside of me and I could protect it. And now the world is open to it. So Mm. talk to me about those feelings and how you manage that. Like when you had Cameron and finally he's here in your arms, like how did you, you know, kind of walk through that worry and fear? Oh man, it's such an overwhelming feeling. Like I'm getting tears in my eyes just thinking about like the moment of like when you get your baby, you know, it's like the most, your most prized possession, right? Like you, you've worked so hard and no matter what path, whether Mm. it's, you know, in vitro, whether it's naturally, whether it's adoption, like it's work, like work to do, whether it's all the paperwork or whether it's, you know, the, the process of, of getting nurseries ready and however you do like, and then it's like, you get this prize and it's scary to think like, because we have the tendency as mothers, you're like, I don't want anything to touch this or hurt it or whatever. And I definitely can see the difference in my mothering with Cameron versus my mothering with Brooklyn Mm. and how much that I've grown and become more secure with myself because 
the first time mom thing, it's like none of us, there's books and stuff, but like none of us are given like a manual. It's just like, here's a human, keep it alive. And you're like, oh shit, like what am I doing? (laughs) You know? And so I think a lot of the worry and the fear come, you have to be, you have to be confident in yourself. And at the end of the day, really just trust that you're, you have the best interest because none of us are going to have days as moms to where we do great every day. Like that's, it's not a realistic expectation. We're all going to have days to where we yell at our kids too much, or maybe we grab them too hard or something like that. It's, it's, it's realistic. It happens, you know, but your intent and your belief in yourself as a parent is that you always choose what will be in the best interest for them as they grow. One of the most powerful things for me as a parent is my view always comes from, and I've talked about this on social media a little bit, like you are raising a human. Like it's not just about the baby right now. Like that Mm. baby becomes an adolescent and becomes an adult. Like you're, you're raising a human that will go out into the world. And I think that that opens things up for a lot of people because while it's scary to, and, and you have those fears of, what's going to happen at this point, it's also very empowering to understand that like you have the opportunity to raise somebody that can be a good human, that can be a world changer, that can Mm. be, you know, something beautiful that's whatever they want to be. So I think, you know, the best thing to ease any sort of like fears or worries when the baby is actually there is to make sure that you have a good relationship with yourself and you know Mm. what your intent is as a parent and you're confident in your decision-making skills in other areas because that will roll over into your parenting because you're going to make decisions that you're like, oh shit, probably not a good choice. You know, it's like if we let Cameron watch too too much TV, like we're pretty strict with screen time here, but like some people aren't, that's okay. Do your thing. But like, if we let Cameron watch too much TV, cause we're like, can't deal with him today. He's too much. Just like stare at the screen. Right. <laughs> and then he becomes an asshole and it's like, okay, I made a bad choice. <laughs> like, you yeah, know? I know, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's really just about building a good amount of confidence in yourself prior, which again, we go back to the mental work and like, how is your decision-making in other areas? How do you do? Because if you do well making decisions in, in your relationship with yourself, in your relationship, your, your marriage or with your partner, you'll be okay with parenting. It's just trusting in your skills. God, that's so powerful. Like just thinking about like, you know, the intent piece of it, right? Like it's all about your intentions and if you can trust yourself and you have built mm-hmm. those skills. And I think that's why it's so important. And I know you you talk about this a lot, like going to therapy, right? So like if you... Like everybody should go to therapy, my personal opinion. I know that's your opinion too. Like if you don't do the work to get yourself in a good mental place, you're going to consistently worry, be stressed, and maybe make the wrong decisions. And everybody's going to make a wrong choice, right? Like you're going to make a wrong decision, but it's how you handle that wrong decision after you make it that matters, right? It's how you go back to it. It's how you treat yourself. It's how, and that treating yourself trickles down to how you treat your kids. And so that actually brings me to something else because people are going to have opinions. Everybody wants to give their opinion to you. Everybody wants to voice their opinion. And sometimes people have very strong opinions, especially family members. So let's talk about how like, Let's say, you know, a family member 
kind of disrespects a boundary that I've set for my kid or doesn't respect the way that I'm handling parenting my child. What do you do with that? Such a good question. And I love, like, obviously I love talking about boundaries because, you know, the first piece of this is obviously you have to communicate the boundary. Like, Mm. are you setting these boundaries in your head and expecting people to respect them without voicing them? Like for us, it was like, you know, we're pretty, we're, we're very scheduled household. And so no, you can't just drop by no, sometimes you can't come over at that time when you want to come over because that's Mm. when the kids are sleeping or whatever. So number one, make sure you're actually setting boundaries, like not just like expecting people to, I think as parents, we can kind of expect people sometimes to like, well, they're my kids. So you can't tell me what to do with my kids. People will anyways. So you have you, it's your job to, and this is any boundary in general, like it's your job to communicate that. I don't like to yep. be treated that way. I don't, you can't say that to me. I don't do that with my kids, you know, and it can be simple stuff. Like there's, this is the thing is like the things that are important and that you value as a parent don't need to stem from other people. They need to stem from you and, and your and your partner and what is important to you guys. One of the most powerful things Eric and I ever did as parents is before Cameron came, we sat down and we talked about our childhood and what Mm. basically the skills that we learned in our childhood and the things that we wanted to take with us and the things that we wanted to leave. And, you know, it was like, we got to talk through like, Hey, my parents did this and it kind of showed up in my life, life later in this way. So let's leave that. And, you know, my parents did this. Like one of the things for me is like, Well, you know, I had one really structured household and one household that was not, it was like the freedom and, you know, not presence of one household led me to be very resilient and led me to Mm. be a person almost to a fault to where it's like, I'll figure this out by myself. Like I don't need anybody, you know? So just having that conversation was really powerful. So we knew where we stood, like we can always come together and that's the communication piece is like making sure you're on the same page with your partner, you know, like yeah. even sometimes now if like one of us does something and it's like, Hey, like you were too rough on the kids today. Like you were yelling too much. Like what's up? Like, are you all right? Like what's underneath? You know what I mean? Like having that open line of communication with your partner, cause you guys are like the foundation for the kids, you know? Yeah. And that way, when you have that, makes it easier to communicate the boundary because then you're like, that doesn't align with what we're doing as parents. Like we're on the same page here. So, you know, and then obviously communicating the boundary. And if somebody, and this is anything, not just parenting, if somebody oversteps your boundary, again, it's your job to communicate and sometimes like offer a consequence. Like it sounds Mm. silly, but it's like, if you're going to keep showing up at my house at times where the kids are sleeping and be mad about it, then you won't be able to see the kids. Like that's not how it works, you know? And so it sounds silly, but like, that's, I think the kind of the part about boundaries that people miss because they're like, well, I'm setting a boundary and it's not being respected. Are you enforcing the boundary? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Are you holding someone accountable? Like, is there, in, yeah. there's, if there's no consequence, there's not really a boundary there because you're just allowing people to do whatever they want. And that leads exactly. back to that, that self-respect that we talk about and that confidence all the time. Yes. And the, like you said, family members are probably the worst with this, especially yeah. moms. You know, 
I love my mom. I love my mother-in-law. They're wonderful, beautiful people. Their intent is always golden, right? Like they have yeah. no intent to like do anything that's that's malicious, right? But it's right. still they did things differently as parents. And so being understanding of that, like who is the person it's coming from and how, like, what is their rules, you know, because their rules are different than yours and building that understanding with them, like setting boundaries, as we've talked about, doesn't have to be this controversial thing. It can be more of an understanding. Like I understand that like you didn't come from a very structured household. So our household is really structured. And so this is, these are times you can see my kids. Or, you know, if somebody's like, well, you need to do this with your baby, that's weird that you breastfeed them in public or whatever. It's like, I understand that maybe that's what you saw, but I'm choosing to do things differently. If you continue to mention this, I don't really want to talk about this with you, or Mm. I don't really, I'm not going to be able to have conversations with you. I like you being a part of my life, especially with family members. I like you Mm -hmm. being a part of my life, but I don't like that you're giving me this feedback or trying to tell me how to do things, it's making me feel X, Y, Z, not good, upset, frustrated, whatever. I think that communication piece right there is key because it's all about how you communicate things. Going back to something you said earlier, so talking about how you and Eric kind of sat down and talked about your childhood, that was one of the things that I really thought was so beneficial about working through the adoption process because And part of the adoption process, they make you go through this list of questions with your spouse. And a lot of it's about your childhood and how you handled things and how you want to handle things going forward. Things like religion and discipline and all the things that people don't really think about. Because when you, you like on TV, for example, when you see somebody's having a baby, it's all about, oh, the baby clothes, oh, the nursery, oh, the let's have a baby shower and drink Fomosas and like tea and all that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I fully enjoy decorating our nursery. Um, (laughs) But there's like a lot of work that you need to put in beforehand before you bring this human into the world and things that you need to talk about and communicate. And something that you said that I really loved, which is going to lead me into my next question was when you guys have a disagreement about parenting. And when, you know, you're like, oh, you were a little rough on the kids today, or Eric's like, you're a little rough on the kids today. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Versus like, I can't believe you did that. You're such a terrible parent. I'm so mad at you. How could you treat the kids that way? Like, instead of making it a fight, it was a communication of, hey, obviously you're acting out of character. What's going on? How can I help? What do we need to talk about? Like, how can I be supportive of you? So mm-hmm. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your relationship with your spouse, right? So whether you're, you know, it's a partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, it's going to change when you bring this human into the world. There's a lot of things that are going to change. You're going to be getting less sleep, maybe additional stress because you're trying to figure out how to take care of this tiny human and this new thing in your life. So how did your relationship change with Eric and how did you manage that? Yeah, this is a great question. And I, it's so funny because I laugh thinking about like what an asshole I was, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a drastic, again, such a drastic difference. Like Cameron, my learner child, right? So the biggest thing was a lot of me trying to do everything. And that Mm. resulted in me being frustrated for 
not getting help, which was me not asking for help because I expected myself to do everything. Because again, I am the person that's like, I got this all by myself. Don't worry. Like just, I got it, you know? That's going to be my problem. Yeah. And so it's, that was not good. It was not good. And that led to like us arguing and Eric and I, to, to be honest, like, and this is not to brag, but like, we don't argue honestly, like we don't, we've had maybe a couple arguments. Like there was one time in the Bahamas where he told me he was going to divorce me. And like, it was like right after we got married and it was like, he was very drunk and like, (laughs) it was just not even, we still don't even know what he was mad about. So that's like, but that's, (laughs) we've never had like an argument to, it's always been kind of like things will get like raised. And then it's like, let's take a break. Let's take a breather. Mm. Let's figure out like, what do we actually want to say here? But we found ourselves basically after Cameron kind of getting in little like tuffles to where it was like, you know, you know, like the little where it's like, oh, fine. Like those little kind of shit. Nitpicky. Like, yeah. yeah. It was us not building an understanding of where each other was at. So it was Mm. me. And that's the, like, if I can give like one singular tip, it is you have to ask for help. It is not your job just because you're the mom to do it all. It is not. Like, my problem was is that I was scared and not confident enough in his ability to change a diaper. Or so in turn, I was, you know, working plus doing everything for him. And like, I didn't consider how that made him feel about Mm. him, him feeling like, well, I'm not capable of doing any of these things because she's just doing it all versus Brooklyn. I'm like, here's both of them. Good luck. (laughs) Like have fun. And he's going for girls weekend. Bye. He's, he's a better, he's a better dad because of it, because he feels more confident as a dad, because I'm like, Hey, Brooklyn pooped. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's, you know, there's like, yeah, even with my work schedule now and with, you know, the COVID going on, it's like we have Cameron home. So there, he has both kids more hours by himself during the week than I do at this point. And yeah, it was just the, the change in our relationship was that we had those little kind of tuffles because I wasn't communicating because Mm -hmm. I felt that it was my job to do everything because I wasn't asking for help. And then I would get resentful. Mm. which we talked about with communication and with boundaries and with asking for help. Like that's what happens. If you put everything on your plate, you're going to be mad. You're going to blow up. Like, and so that caused like, it just caused tension, you know, it was just like, and then luckily because we're able to communicate so well, it always came down to like me crying and being like, I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, it was like, it, it always came back to like basically me admitting like, not that I was wrong per se, but like that I did need help or like, you know, that I was scared about something or whatever the underlying reason was. But I would say, you know, that could have, all of that could have been eliminated if I prioritized myself more and if I asked for help. That's such a good point. You know, we talk about, and you and I've had these conversations about like, communicating when you need help and not, you know, like that need for control or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so when, when Michael and I first got married, I 
felt like I had to do everything. And it was the, I wanted to be the picture perfect wife. I wanted to be, you know, Mrs. Cleaver who cooks dinner and cleans the house and handles all the finances and does everything. And not only was I robbing myself because I was exhausted and working full time and, you know, our first year of marriage was when we found out we couldn't have kids. So I was not in the best mental state either. So mm-hmm. there was all these like, you know, little tufts that we would have, but I was robbing Mike of the opportunity to grow and learn and, you know, be himself and get that confidence that he needed, that he could do these things too. And it was completely unfair. And, you know, we worked through that and we communicated and it was always, it's the same thing. Like I wasn't asking for help. I wasn't communicating it. I would end up crying, saying, I can't do this. And, you know, now we're, what, four or five years in. And, you know, we have a lot less of that now because I know when I'm not asking for help and I start to feel that resentfulness, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because I'm controlling it and I'm not allowing him to help. So that's, I think that's really important. That's a really good takeaway for, you know, anybody who's in any part of your relationship, you know, whether you're expecting, whether you're just, you know, starting out, like communicating and sharing those responsibilities and realizing not only are you robbing yourself, but you're robbing the other person of opportunity too. Um, Yeah. Super important. Exactly. That's exactly it though. Exactly what you just said is that you're taking away, you're taking away from them. And like, that's, that's kind of the, the perspective that I needed is once I realized that by me not selfishly not asking for help and mm-hmm. trying to do everything myself, that it was the feeling that that gave my husband was that he was not capable. And so that stunted his growth and his confidence in areas because of my choices. And that to me was really powerful because we as women, especially have this need to do everything, to mother, to nurture, right? And so it's like, like you said, you want to be the perfect wife. You want to make sure that you're cleaning. You want to be the one cooking dinner, all this kind of stuff. And if you don't fit into that box, if you don't do those things, you're not good enough, right? And so we work ourselves to the bone. We feel overwhelmed, exhausted, stressed, like shit, and we don't take care of ourselves. And then we expect to have good relationships with people. It's unrealistic. And then it's like, so we don't feel good. And then on the other side, our partners don't feel good because they're not learning anything. Like what is the best way that we learn as children? You put it in front of them, you stand back and then you offer help as needed. If you just give your child something, and this is, goes, you know, with the way that we parent, it's like, if you just give your child, like if I were to take a piece of paper and put crayons down and just start coloring and like not give Cameron any crayons, what is he learning? If I put the paper down, I take a crayon, scribble across, I say, check it out, and then give him the crayons, he gets to color. He gets to figure it out. It's like, that's that's the thing that people don't realize is you think that you're doing a good job by doing everything, but you're actually probably making your partner feel like they're not good enough to do that job. Right. God, it's so like you actually led right into my next question, talking about crayons and coloring and allowing your kid to learn. Because I know one of the things that you do is that you allow the kids a lot of, you know, freedom to move their bodies and explore and learn and, you know, do things on their own. And a lot of parents really struggle with that. They struggle with being afraid of 
the kid getting hurt or doing something they shouldn't do or that they're not nurturing the kid enough. I know like I have a friend who is literally afraid to put her baby down because she's afraid Mm. that if she lets her cry it out, she won't, you know, the baby won't love her or the baby will um, think that it's being abandoned. So let's talk about that, that, that parenting style, that freedom that that you try to instill in the kids. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this goes back to, there's no right way to parent. Okay. I strongly believe there's no right way to parent because every parent and every child is so different, but what you do have to do going back to the mental work is you need to own your shit and figure out your stuff and what you have going on that you're trying to bring from your childhood because your child will learn those behaviors too. So like, what do you not want to pass on? Like that's, it's such an important thing to, to, to have a conversation, you know, with your partner and with yourself about, but yeah. Like Ronell says, is it your shit or their shit? Yeah, exactly. And it's not your kid's shit because they don't know because they're, they're, they're newborns, you know? If I had to like name my parenting style, it would be like freedom within boundaries. So like Mm. we basically create like the fence of like, you can't go outside of this, but you can play inside here with a lot of different things. Right. And so there's obviously, you know, certain values that we have that it's like, okay, we're more strict with this. We are a very strict sleep household. My kids go to bed at the same time. They nap at the same time. If they wake up early, they stay in their rooms, they stay in their beds, unless there's like screaming and something's going wrong. Obviously I'm not a neglectful parent. You're not a monster. <laughs> yeah. Like somebody's Cameron, like this morning was screaming that he had to go poop. So it's like, of course I'm going to let him out of his room, you know? So it's like, but yeah, so it's like freedom within boundaries. It allows them to have the freedom and that it goes back to building confidence. Mm. If you do everything for your kid, which we as mothers want to, it's like, of course, like they can't change their own diaper. They can't, you know, but it's like, A good example of this is there's all these little like seats that you can put your kids in rockers, Mm -hmm. little like stationary things. I absolutely think that like having one of these things is necessary because it's like if you're home by yourself, like, and you want to put your kid, you want to take a shower, put your kid in the seat, like next to the shower. Like I get it. But like, if you leave your kid in the seat for long periods of time, and if you, that's like your regular place to put them versus like putting them on the floor, like on a blanket with toys to where they can move their body, it causes them to physically develop slower because they're Mm. stuck in the seat, right? So it's the same thing in a a bigger picture. If the more, if you allow them more freedom within boundaries, of course, because not Mm. putting boundaries is also not something that I agree with as a parent, just letting them do whatever. But if you allow them that more freedom, the seat versus the floor with toys, they get to move, they get to discover more. And how powerful is it when a child discovers like a baby, when they realize they can reach for the first time, like they did that. Now it's like, oh, I know I can reach. It wasn't you taking their arm and doing it for them because they don't learn from that. Like that's what people have to realize is think about the things that you've learned. Like you have other people that are your teachers that have guided you, but we learn the best by doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you learn something, it's like, okay, here's math. Okay, now you do it, right? Like that's how kids have to learn. It's That's how adults have to learn. Like you have to learn by doing. And so if you don't allow your kid the opportunity 
to do because you're doing for them, they don't learn. They don't build confidence. And then it's like mm-hmm. you have a college kid that doesn't know how to do his own laundry. I'm not having that shit. Nope. Not today. Not in my household. <laughs> <laughs> I you love know? it. Okay. So uh, one last thing I want to talk about, because I think this is a really big question that a lot of people have, sleep. So this is your favorite subject. (laughs) And a lot of people are like, oh, you have to sleep when the baby sleeps or, oh, you need to like only let the baby sleep at night or the baby has to sleep on this, you know, like side with like a feather over their bed with like (laughs) you doing a handstand or they won't sleep. Like, let's talk about this sleep stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like I mentioned, like, so we are definitely on the side here when we talk about like, you know, different ranges of parenting, we are a very strict sleep household. An example of this is like, when we go to Disney, we leave Disney and our kids take a nap. We go back to the hotel so our kids can get nap time. Okay. Um, Pause. Because I think that's super important because I... We're a big Disney household. I see so many parents at Disney who run their kids ragged because they feel like they have to get every minute out of that day. But like the kids aren't enjoying it. They're pissed they off. They ruin your vacation. They're ruining yeah. it because they're they're being assholes because they're tired. Right. Like, are you really getting your money's worth or would you be better off doing four hours and a two-hour nap and then going back for dinner? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly how we feel. And that's this, it's the same for vacations. It's the same for vacations. We've always honored nap time. And I think, you know, this comes with a lot of, you know, knowledge builds your understanding of things. Right. And so for me, this kind of stemmed off of my whole, I've done a lot of, I've worked with different sleep people. I've done a lot of sleep research. So this kind of stemmed off of with Cameron, obviously I've had my business since 2011. I had Cameron in 2016. So I was still working obviously. And so I was running into the issue of baby sleep is very sporadic, especially in the beginning that you might lay them down and they might sleep for four hours. You might lay them down and they sleep for 20 minutes. You don't really know what you're going to get. And that of course is a trigger for me because I'm a control freak. So I'm like, no, I need to know exactly how long you're going to sleep for. <laughs> and I so that schedule yourself, please. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what it stemmed off of is like Cameron was, he was still only waking like once at night and his, I think his naps were really short. It was something like that. But basically the problem that I was running into is I was having a hard time working because I was like, I never knew kind of when I could work because with Cameron, I wouldn't work when he was awake. I was solely Mm. focused on Cameron, which is a whole different subject. So I was having a hard time with that, the, the work mom balance. And Mm. so that led me into, um, what can I find out about sleep? Like how basically it all started with like the Google search of how do you get your baby to sleep longer kind of stuff. Right. And so that led me down the rabbit hole that is sleep training and working with people and all this kind of stuff. So Here's the thing about sleep, regardless of what you believe, whether you want to sleep with, co-sleep with your baby, whatever you want to do, there is no denying the importance of sleep for your brain. That's science. As adults, Say it again, as, for the people as, in the back. Yeah. As adults, like as children, like I think that that's another powerful thing that you can read about is just read about the development that happens for your children during sleep. And then when you want to just have the kid that sleeps 20 minutes all day 
and they're wrecking your life because they're always crying, you will understand. Like sleep is, is 100% connected to our cognitive function, our emotional regulation, our impulse control. It's directly related to that. Think about how you feel as an adult. You get a shitty night's sleep. You're an asshole to everybody. Yep. Like that's, how do you think your kid that doesn't have any of the tools and the skills as an adult that you have to regulate those emotions, how do you think they're going to act? Okay. So we, I learned a lot about sleep. We did sleep training with Cameron. Luckily it was not a traumatic experience. You know, people do all different kinds of sleep training. There's so many different ways to do this, but I think that, and then with Brooklyn, it was, I won't say easier, but she had her struggles too, but we started with better sleep habits from the beginning. And so she was a better sleeper at night than Cameron was. So it's just like simple things like blackout curtains, white noise, Mm putting your baby in a swaddle. People are like, Oh, my baby doesn't like the swaddle. They don't. I'm like, I hear you, but here's the thing. How were they in your body? They were like smashed together. It makes them sleep better. It does. Like you can read that anywhere about baby sleep, about swaddling them like before they're rolling little things. Like that's all we did with Brooklyn was she was in our room. We had blackout curtains in our room. We had white noise and we swaddled her. And it was like those simple things led her having good sleep habits. And like now it's like Cameron sleeps. Usually Cameron still takes a nap. He's three and a half years old. On the days that he doesn't, he has quiet time in his room. And then he sleeps for usually about 11 hours at night. And then Brooklyn sleeps about 12 hours a night and then takes two to three hour nap every day. So, but that allows me like I, I work during those mm-hmm. times and I, I work when they're awake too, but it, you know, it's like getting, and then on the weekends when I'm not working at this point, it's like, I actually get time for myself. So there's, you know, there's that side of it too. That's like the selfish side, if you will, of, I need time for myself. Like, and, and that's the thing about being a mom is it's not, it's a continuous job. And so if you don't get breaks, you're not going to be a very good mom. And that's kind of where having that sleep schedule comes in along with the fact that I think for me talking about things from my childhood, I didn't have a lot of stability and as silly as it sounds like a schedule is stability for people. Like the structure Cameron knows like when we're eating lunch because they eat lunch and they take a nap. Like when he has days where he's tired, he'll be at the lunch table and it'll be like 15, 30 minutes earlier. And usually he's like, I'm ready for nap time. Like, Cause he knows what's next, he knows. right? There's a, there's a schedule, there's a structure and that yeah. builds habits for them going forward as humans and adults, you know, they have those early habits built of having that structure and having that schedule. And then when they go to school, when they go to college, when they, you know, become adults, they're able to manage their time easier because they have that structure and that schedule in place. Yeah. And even the bedtime routine, like it's the same thing. We eat dinner, they take baths or like sometimes Cameron like thinks he's a big dude now. So he takes showers like, and then it's like we read books and then we sing songs and they go to bed. Like that's, and it's, and it's repeated and it's not a big chunk of time. And it's like, quality time that we get with them. And it's like, they know like Cameron, if he gets in trouble and like, he doesn't get to read books before bed, it's like heartbreaking for him. It's like, because that's expected for him. It's Mm -hmm. like, these are things that we do. And so it's just kind of like, but it's 
we have bedtime routines as adults. I mean, some of them are not that great, but like, you know, staying off your screens and like reading or journaling, like brushing your teeth, washing your face. Like we all have those things. So it's like the same providing the same for your child too is important. So this brings me, I said sleep was my last question, but I lied because you brought up something that struck with me, which is talking about being a working mom And then having that time for yourself and the self-care and all of that, a lot of people have a really hard time with that because they feel guilty. Mm -hmm. So let's take a minute to talk about mom guilt Mm -hmm. and how you work through having a job if you have a job and, you know, taking that time away from the kids to, you know, do things that you're passionate about, like your work and you know, taking time to just like sit and read a book or have a cup of coffee without some small child yelling at you. Um, You know, how do you deal with the emotions that go with that? Yeah. It's so funny because Cameron is like in this stage where he's very demanding. So anybody that follows me knows that Cameron is like, if this kid's not president, I swear to God. (laughs) Seriously. He is uh, he is a lot. Like he is a lot. He is amazing and incredible. And even I talked to his teacher this week, getting some ideas for, cause we tried to structure this week, a, kind of a little more like his, his school. Cause again, talking about stability and structure for him. And he just does really well with structure. He is just, he's, he's a lot, but he is so smart. And when I was talking to his teacher this week, she's like, it's almost a problem because he's so above average academically But then his behaviors, she's like, I would consistently have to remind myself like, oh, he's three because you, you have these expectations for him because of the way that he acts academically and the things that he knows, Mm -hmm. like all this, all this schoolwork and little workbooks we do are all pre-K, which is like the grade above where he's at or whatever. And like, it's not a problem for him. And so, but then he does some shit like, well, like knock over Brooklyn and we're like, what, like what happened? (laughs) Aren't you, you know? seven? Don't you know better? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, going back to your question of like taking care of yourself, I think here's the thing. It's 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 really comes down to like the way that you take care of yourself in, in general. And one of the most powerful mm-hmm. things you can do before having kids is like have hobbies or have things that fulfill you and keep those things when you have a kid. Like I cannot mm-hmm. tell you how many clients that I talk to like I had one client and we were having a very deep session and we were kind of getting to the root of some stuff and you know, she's, she's struggling and she has a mom and she's has two little kids. And I was like, what did you enjoy before kids? And she listed off like three or four things. And I go, how many of those things are you doing now? And she was like, none of them. And I'm like, Mm. you have the expectation of being happy and fulfilled And you're literally not doing the things that are happy and fulfilling to you. So it's like knowing what those things are for you, whether it's reading, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be like hashtag self-care spa day. Like sometimes it is just like going and being by yourself, like meditation, taking a walk, like, you know, obviously like working out is a big one for me. So it's like Mm. knowing what your things are that fulfill you. You have to know those things before and then have good time management and ask for help 
so you can continue to incorporate those things. One of my pregnant clients that I'm working with, she, like one of the things that I made her do was sit down and have a conversation with her husband about like, how are we going to continue to do our hobbies? Like, Mm. here's kind of what the days will, will look like. And obviously with the baby, it's going to, it's going to change, but opening that line of communication of like, Hey, I want to be able to work out three days a week. So during that time, can you have the baby like that kind of stuff? So knowing what fulfills you and keeping those things after the baby comes, because it's such a slippery slope into motherhood to where it's like, it's your job to keep this human alive. And so of course you're like doing everything for the baby, but you can't forget about yourself in the process. That's where the problems lie. And then you become resentful and then you become impatient and then you're stressed and then you're overwhelmed and you're exhausted because you're living your whole life for yourself. Guilt and guilt about doing things for yourself. Number one, I have an overcoming mom guilt course. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. It's just a little mini course that I made for moms and it's literally five videos that are five minutes or less because I'm understanding that moms are busy. So there's some great tools in there, but I like to say that guilt is similar to fear because sometimes you just have to see it, acknowledge it, understand that it's there. And then you just do it anyways, because again, fear and like fear guilt is there's something better waiting for you on the other side. And with guilt, that better thing is, you know, your, your, your cup being refilled on the other side. So it's like, mm-hmm. do you want to stay in the same place to where you feel guilty? Cause you're going to feel guilty like either way. You're going to feel guilty about not taking care of yourself. Or you're going to feel guilty about not taking care of your kid, even though that's not really what's happening. So it's like, who do you choose? you know, and you have to choose yourself because on the other side of that, you're going to be a better mom and a better wife when you take care of yourself versus if you don't, then it's like you didn't take care of yourself and now you're not as good of a mom and not as good of a wife. So I would say much like fear, understand that you have to see it and do it anyways. And then understand that what's on the other side is worth it. Mm, That's so good. You just have to kind of work through it. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And there's some tips like in the course, like one of them is, so I go through five different types of guilt that moms have. And one of them is like caretaker guilt. So it's like having mm-hmm. somebody take care of your child. Like people feel guilty about that. Right. And so like one of the tips that I offer in there is have the caretaker take pictures or videos and send them to you. Cause you can see like, oh, my child is still thriving. They're having a great time. They're okay without me. You know, it's like such a small thing, but there's ways to to work through it. That's awesome. Kind of to wrap this up, you know, we love um, when we interview other people, I feel like we've just had an interview with you. So that's funny. (laughs) When we interview other people, we always love to ask, you know, what is the biggest tip, biggest takeaway, the one thing that you want the audience to get from today? So Kelsey, Mm -hmm. hit me. What's the one thing that everybody should take away from today? Yeah, I think I said it. I said it earlier too. But again, I think it's going back to the communication piece of of asking for help because that mm. aligns with so many things that I've said. Like, because you have to ask for help. Those things that you know fulfill you that you need to keep in your routine. Like, you have to ask for help usually to to keep going with those things. So yeah, I think asking for help from your partner and your support system is going to be the most powerful thing that you can do when you're pregnant or new mom or any of that, like 
nobody that loves you is going to be, you know, not able to help you in some way. It may not be like you're on your ideal schedule or whatever, but you have to ask for help. It's not your job to do it all by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me today is, you know, I, I'm notorious, as you know, for not asking for help. So that's, it's funny. I feel like life prepares you for things sometimes. And I think this past year, life has continued to put me in situations where I need to ask for help or I need to communicate my boundaries or communicate my feelings. And I've had to work really hard to do that this past year and grow in that way. So I think it's just life preparing me for having a little one and needing all of the help that I can get. So yeah. I'm very thankful that I have you as a friend and that I can (laughs) ask you all the crazy questions and learn from you. So this was a really awesome interview. Just so thankful that we got to have this conversation. And I think that the audience is is probably going to take away a lot what I took away, which is, you know, communication, self-care, confidence, boundaries, all these things that we always talk about that, you know, they don't just affect your life in general, they affect every piece of your life, like when you have kids and your kids and your spouse and all those things. So, okay, Kelsey, tell us all about the next episode. Okay. So this is going to be a really special episode because it's something that's very relevant in the times that we're in. And we are talking all about self-compassion and how to be more kind to yourself And I know this is something that a lot of my clients and a lot of women in general really struggle with, you know, the negative self-talk and just being kind of mean and hateful to ourselves. So we read a book in the Bravehearted Book Club called Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff, and I highly recommend it. So we're combining what we learned from that book and, and what we know about, you know, our own experiences and just giving you guys a whole episode basically on how to be more compassionate and more kind to yourself. So really looking forward to that and um, can't wait for you guys to hear. Um, this was really fun today. I love talking about parenting stuff. I appreciate that you think I'm a good enough parent to interview me for <laughs> parenting stuff. It makes me it makes me feel good, you know. But yeah, so thank you for for doing this and hopefully the audience gets some good takeaways. And if you guys have any other questions, maybe you have questions for Mindy about the adoption process cuz like she was saying, you know, she's walked through it and they're just at, like waiting at this point and I yeah. can't wait to meet my new niece or nephew. Maybe you'll get twins. Can you get twins? Oh my God. I wish. my keep, <laughs> might keep saying that I'm crazy, but I wish. <laughs> a niece and a nephew, both at once. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. Double time. But yeah. So maybe if you have questions about the adoption process, maybe if you are somebody that's struggling with infertility, feel yeah. free to reach out to Mindy. I'm sure she'd be happy to have happy to answer any of your questions. And of course, if you have parenting questions, if you have questions at all, if you're struggling, if you're stressed, our inbox and our DMs are always open. And uh, we'll link the the mom guilt course too, because Mm -hmm. that is something that just came out that I think will be a great resource for mamas too. Speaking of struggling and stress, if you guys are struggling and need someone to talk to, um, we do have a a discount that you can take 
through betterhelp.com slash bravehearted. BetterHelp is an online uh, therapy website where you can get connected with licensed therapists, licensed counselors to talk about any um, anything you may need help with. So again, that's betterhelp.com slash bravehearted. Please check that out. Also, um, as always, we're going to ask that you follow us on Instagram and tag us when you're listening. We love seeing your post when you guys are listening to us. It just warms our heart. Thank you so much for your support. And as always, I'm going to let Kelsey say it. All right. Don't forget to live bravely today. If you are a CEO or entrepreneur, I want to invite you into a space that's unlike anything out there. CEO Power Hour is a free monthly live experience that you can join in person or virtually to get your questions answered to fulfill the desires for your business. Inside this room, you bring your biggest goal, the obstacles you are experiencing, or anything you want my expertise, eyes, and ears on. This guidance, along with the ideas and inspiration from other powerful women, allows you to be fully immersed in the energy of being supported and learn in a completely new way so that you can expand your business and your life to the next level. I created CEO Power Hour to bring together powerful business owners for connection, collaboration, and coaching. This is your invitation, and it's free. The link is in the show notes, so I hope to see you at our next monthly meeting.